Hi, Natalie. Hey, Tara. What's up? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Did you have a nice holiday? I did. I am now, though, suffering, trying to get back into the swing of everyday life. Yeah, yeah. I understand. <laughs> it was a much needed rest, though. I was really, really happy to get a little bit of time off. Same. Me too. Me too. Oh, hi. How are you? Welcome to the store. Let us know if you have any Welcome. questions. Uh, I'm Tara. I'm Natalie. Let us know if you have any questions. We'll be behind the counter. Uh, Natalie, did you see that Coachella lineup? I did. I did. I was a little vexed when I saw Bjork's name. Yeah. Like, uh, it kind of tugged at my heart a little bit because I know that my opportunities to see Bjork are going to, are like diminishing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Coachella, yucky. <laughs> I don't have another Coachella in me. Yeah. Definitely not my ideal festival either. I was more kind of taken aback by the Chemical Brothers on that lineup. Yeah, that was shocking too. That's on the uh, the first the first night. How are they? I don't yeah. know. They're, I don't know how they're splitting it up this time. Oh, they're doing two weekends, right? So both Fridays have the Chemical Brothers. That's kind of cool. Yeah, maybe they'll do a tour though. Or I'm hoping some of these people will do a tour so I can catch them without having to go all the way there. And experiencing and that entire all of the, uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. Have you been to Coachella? No, never. You have though, right? Yeah, I went to a few. I had like a, while I was living in LA and it was just a lot easier to deal with. And I think it was like, I don't know, it was probably like a snobby thing to say, but I think it was the tail end of like Coachella's golden years. Um, it just hasn't really interested me since. Yeah. And I just can't have, I can't be out in the desert like that and... <laughs> Oh, I'm too old for that at this point. Wearing a sequined bralette or and just something. <laughs> existing on, on beer and like not, yeah, I just can't. No, thank you. Uh, I want to pay for seats. I want to be comfortable. I want to have a clear line of vision. I don't want people banging into me. I'm very fussy about my live music experience now. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Oh, hey, look who it is. Oh, hey, look, Tio. It's Tio Lee. What's up? How's it going, Welcome. Tio? It's good to be back. It's good to see you both. You're our first guest in 2023. Tio, we were just discussing the latest Coachella lineup drop. Did you see that? I did not. Are you into festivals? I have to say I did not. I love festivals, but like these days, I mean, kind of the bands that I like <laughs> don't appear on the same festivals, you know, the, those big popular kind of festivals yeah. these days. So I'm a, li I'm a little snobby that way because I want to see full bands playing yeah. instruments right, right. without tracks yeah. actually making the music in front of them. What kind of, what kind of bands would those be? Well, you know, they, they tend to be, I mean, there, there, there are bands that have that throwback aesthetic, like a snarky puppy, right? You know, what's really interesting, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tiny Desk because you just have to perform. And so many of those Tiny Desk arrangements are so much better than anything yeah. I've ever heard these artists do in their big production stuff. And I'm, my, my, my prayer is that some of these bands and some of these artists will listen to it and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go out like that. I'm going to go. Prince did that. You know, Prince did that when he stripped down his performances mm -hmm. 
and it was just him, a band, and a stage, and it just blew the place up. He didn't need visual aids, right? right? Yeah, he was the visual aid. <laughs> he was the visual. Yeah, I'll give you a couple examples, right? So I'm not a big Usher fan, although I know he's really talented. His tiny desk is crazy. Really? The yeah, that's a good one. And the, the yeah. pockets when you got real drums and a bass playing keyboard plays and people making the music in the room. It's just, it's, it's crazy to me. And I wish, I wish, I wish more artists would, would lean back on that, especially the real artists, you know? Yeah. What's your favorite Tiny Desk show performance? I, I have to say it's Tank and the Bangers, the first one. That was a dope one. Like, what am I looking at? Right. How are they so dope? Why are they giving me so much of what I grew up loving? I mean, just pure performers, the interaction, the interplay between the group, the grooves, they're incredible to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that one sort of went viral even because uh, I don't regularly watch them. I mean, I have to seek them out. I don't subscribe. or any, I mean, maybe I do subscribe, but that one was one that was just kind of all over the internet. Everyone was talking about it and it was really good for sure. That's the one that turned me on to Tank and the Bangers in the yeah. first place, I think. Like, I'd heard the name floating around, but then I was like, oh, wait, hold up. <laughs> yeah. Well, got the name alone. And then when I saw him, I'm like, Tank and the Bangers, let me check that out. Press play. And oh, my God, am I glad that I did. So that's at yeah. the top of the food chain to me. But I, I was traveling to Tennessee recently, running up my data, <laughs> listening to and kind of sneak peeking at a whole series of tiny desks for hours and hours. And I just went in on, on everybody and was just so pleasantly surprised. I'm going to tell you this, Jack Harlow's tiny desk oh, is sick. Interesting. His band is crazy. Huh. I haven't seen that one. It's phenomenal. See, I wouldn't even wow. bother clicking that one, but. Now that you've said that, I but have to go back. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Click stuff you wouldn't click. Take or take a ride. Explore. Just related to because NPR's tiny there. desk, though. Don't usually take that advice related to like emails. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm talking I'm talking tiny desk. We're talking yeah, tiny yeah. desk specific. Um, it, it, it's incredible. I'm I'm often pleased. Sometimes, not so much, but most of the time, yes. So, Tio, you are a bass master. I have witnessed it with my own eyes and ears. And you have been killing the bass for years and years. You have just an insane uh, depth and breadth of experience on stage and in the studio. Just can you tell us a little bit about your uh, journey with the bass? Yeah, it started on saxophone. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. In grade school, I remember being in a, in a, in an assembly and, uh, you know, the music teacher saying, listen, you know, pick an instrument if you'd like to play. And my family's very musical. So there's, a, you know, I'm surrounded by music all the time. I was. And um, when I looked at the orchestra, the prettiest thing that I saw, and it's, in all of its complexity and its beauty was the saxophone. I mean, that thing just, it was beautiful. It had all these buttons 
And, and of course, I knew the sound of the saxophone because I'm listening to Miles Davis and Cole Chain and all of these, these people that my parents are listening to, you know, Tower Power and all of this, all of this <laughs> wow. stuff, right? Yeah. And that was the instrument. So I gravitated towards that. And I started off on alto and then moved to tenor, which I love. Tenor is like the electric guitar of saxophone. <laughs> but then I got into baritone. Right. And that's got a lot of power to it, not low end power. But what was funny is I would always I'd be in my section looking over at the rhythm section, (laughs) you know, kind of wanting to be there. I'm playing melodies and stuff, but I want to play. I want to play the bass line. I want to play the grooves. (laughs) Yeah. So what happened probably about the fourth or fifth grade, I think it was probably the fifth grade, my cousin got an electric guitar and I kind of laid it down like a steel guitar and started banging out bass lines. And I just wanted to play the thing, but I was playing bass lines. I wasn't looking for chords. I was trying to play and succeeding at playing, you know, little grooves that I, I could pick up. And my cousin says, Oh, okay. Wow. You're a bass player. And this, my cousin was two grades ahead of me. I'm like, I guess I am. I bought my friend's uh, Sears bass for $60. Well, I, I begged my parents for $60. <laughs> and then I had to work it off with all my chores and stuff. And at that point in time, the minute I picked it up, it was like I heard angels singing. It just, it just felt like home, right? I, I, I felt like I had whatever the gold light was in Pulp Fiction in my hands <laughs> at that point in time. And it just, it was just home. But you still play in a band, yeah? I play in lots of bands. Lots of bands. But most famously, so let me bring this story full circle, right? So in 1981, a song called I Hear Music in the Streets hits the airwaves. Really funky song. I hear music in the streets. Yes, I hear the funky beat. And it is it is kind of post-disco funk. So it still has some disco elements in it, but it's got this banging funk integrated on top of it uh, or into it. And I'm just obsessed with this, with this particular song. And I'm really learning how to play the bass. I can play a little, but I'm studying... And I'm trying to learn those bass lines and play them well. So jump cut to last year, a bass player that I was influenced by, well, actually two years ago, almost three years now, uh, passes from COVID before there was a vaccine, right? So early COVID. And um, I get a call from a friend of mine who knows that I, you know, like the band and we're really close. And he says, hey, man, Sandy Anderson just passed. Jump cut to a few few months later. I'm like, well, my friend knows and grew up with the drummer and knew them pretty well. And I said, well, you know, tell them <laughs> you got a friend who uh, who's a bass player who loves them. Yeah. And uh, they had been struggling to look for bass players. And my boy, his name's Evan Stent, used to play with the New Kids on the Block. Great drummer. What? Yes. And he toured with them. He was in the opening act called Homework. He finds out they're struggling to find a bass player. And he says to Tony Cintron, the drummer, 
I got your guy. And again, jump cut facilitates a, a, um, a, a, an audition, facilitates an audition with me several months later. And, uh, and I, I, I meet him in New York. I meet Tony Cintron in New York, this and that. We just get to know each other. And a couple months later, I, I, I get this audition. And um, they had been struggling to find bass players, but they didn't know. Not only did I know their stuff, I knew every arrangement. <laughs> right? So when they were counting it off, ready to go, I'm like, we doing the live one? We doing a 12-inch? Or we doing the, the, the radio edit? They counted that thing off. I was ready. I had been studying this stuff. I played that stuff close to note, note for note. They just kept calling off songs. I was in there. And so here we are, jump cut literally 30 years later. They brought me in as the new member of Unlimited Touch. So wow. I am their bass player. And this band that I grew up loving, I am now a part of. So it's really, we're in crazy season right now. That's so cool. That's such a cool story. Yeah. I love it. I feel like I've heard of, how do I know Unlimited Touch? You will, you will be familiar with their music when you start listening to them because their music has never left the club. DJs have been spinning, especially those songs, okay, for yeah. 30 years. That must be why I'm like, I, I probably have this in my repertoire somewhere. Yeah. And Louis Vega brought them into the studio a couple years ago and <clears throat> he was a big fan of Unlimited Touch. Brought them into the studio, reimagined one of their songs and had two new songs for them for his album, Expansions in the NYC. And this album from top to bottom is vicious. Lisa Fisher's on it. The Winans are on it. It's an wow. incredible album. They're on three songs. So I would highly recommend. And it's getting played. They were getting, we got Grammy consideration early on. We wow. didn't make it, we didn't make it further down downstream. So they they just released a song called uh, Music Is My Life. And it's, it's, it's doing its thing all over the world right now. So some recommendations for you early. Awesome. Oh, nice. Cool. We'll put that on the uh, employee recommendation shelf. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Sweet. Well, speaking of pressing play and going for a ride, usually when we have our friends in the record store, we like to play a game uh, that we call the high fidelity game where we rank our favorite, like top five, something music related. Um, would you maybe want to play with us? I would love to play with you all. <laughs> maybe something Fantastic. that is a long play, like you said, pressing play and something album related. Yep. All right. So what's give us the topic. What are we looking for? Top five, whatever you want to do, let us know. Funk. Top of course. Five funk albums. Yes. Well, I'm excited to talk about one. this. It's very challenging. It was, ve yeah, it was a very challenging thing to think about. Tara, do you want to start yeah, first? Yeah, I'll kick it off. Um, so awesome. I will say that because this was such a tough challenge, I love funk music, I love disco, soul, I was like, 
how do I, how do you choose five? I can't. So I went kind of off track a little bit and I chose five funk albums that I love a lot by women. I love that. Okay. Fantastic. So, uh, because there's so many greats in in the world of funk that are men, and I'm sure we'll mention most of them. But because I think this is maybe overlooked a little, some of them I, I wanted to highlight. And and yeah, I'll just get into it. I'll just get into it. So yeah. Can I comment on that? Yeah, let's do it. A lot of the great funk songstress are camouflaged inside these men's bands. It's true. Yep. Mm, that's true. So so it's hard to say, yes, the brand might be this band or that, but oftentimes the lead singer is a female. So take one a great funk song, Jamaica yeah. Funk, right? About Jamaica, New York, Tom Brown. Well, the lead singer is a female, but Tom Brown, you, you, and she is so, so funky, right? right? Yeah. So funky, right? I forget her name right now. Uh, but again, another full circle moment. I just finished recording a song that is going to be on an album with Tom Brown. That's awesome. He's on a different song, but it's the same album. Yeah. So, and I guess when I'm saying like a lot of great men of funk, I'm thinking James Brown, Prince. Like I'm, I'm, I guess speaking about the like the main yeah. guy, the self-titled yeah. guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because you have a lot of women bands like. Um, even in Sly and the Family Stone, there are women. So yeah, definitely a lot of wonderful women in funk. Right out of the gate, number five is the group and the self-titled album from 1987, Madam X. Oh yeah, Madam X was great. So yes. Madame X was an all-girl group put together by Bernadette Cooper, who is the drummer of another all-girl group, Climax. Yes. You might remember yes. such hits as Meeting in the Ladies Room, Divas Need yes. Love Too. Um, but Climax also played their own instruments. Madame X played their own instruments. Although this album and with the, the hit from this album was probably had a drum machine. It is a little bit more synth-heavy, I would say, but... Um, the song is just that kind of girl. Um, yes. And they just had their most su- successful single, which was just that kind of girl. And they had a video, but they didn't really get a lot of radio play. But once they had that video, they did get more video play there on all the major networks, BET, MTV, and VH1. And then scored this th- uh, theme song from the Action Jackson soundtrack. But it, it kind of sucked for them because their album was weirdly out of print before they really got much more traction. Um, and so that leads to, you know, if you're a crate digger, if you find the CD of Madame X, you should buy it or get it if you can afford it. It's a, it's a, a crate digger's gold, basically. So yeah, Madame X. And I would say that probably they influence people like Missy Elliott, or Timbaland, you know, it's it's funky, it's it's groundbreaking and new sounding compared to what else was going on at that time. So yeah, Madame X. So so oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> I'm loving this conversation. All right, I got stories, I'll make them quick. <laughs> All right. So no climax, incredibly funky band. Yeah. Incredible funk band. Women, men doesn't matter. 
right? Bernadette Cooper is the common denominator in yeah. that. Yeah. She is crazy funky. She dropped an album in the 90s called Drama According to Bernadette Cooper that is a masterpiece. Oh. Chucky Booker's on it. I think Prince Ghost uh, did some ghost writing on it. Um, oh, what? And John Patitucci, the phenomenal bass player, shows up on this album. It is incredible, top to bottom, dropped while I was a student at Hampton. My cousin, who is on that Tom Brown album, it's his album, used to manage Climax and Whoa. knows Bernadette Cooper. That's crazy. Next week, I'm playing with her lead guitar player, who's a friend of mine. Her name's Jenny Glam. She lives in Maryland and has been touring with Bernadette because, you know, Climax actually has a divide. There's Climax featuring Bernadette and there the other Climax that are touring under that name. So a lot of these older groups have drama and they split. Um, but yes, so I am, I emailed Jenny Glam today because we're looking for a new agent for Unlimited Touch. And I asked her today, who's Bernadette using? And can you introduce us to her? Oh, today? my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's how small this world is. That's crazy. That's so funny. Crazy. <laughs> We're in crazy space that here. That is so crazy. Yeah. And Bernadette Cooper is the common denominator and just like amazing. Writes, engineers, produces her own songs, and now yep. is a writer and producer for EMI. And so that's just super cool that um, she's... I listened to her on a great podcast with... Um, Questlove. I think it's Questlove. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love Questlove yeah. so much. His book, Music is History, check that out if you haven't already. So good. Uh, yep. Yep. Nice. So shall we jump to number four? Yeah. Okay. This started one, off strong, Tara. Yeah. This one is maybe a little bit more no wave, post funk, jazzy uh, in a way, but um, it is Lizzie Mercier Desclou. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Mm. I'm not French, but the album is Mambo Nassau from 1981. Wow. Never heard of them. Really? Her. So this one is the second studio album for this self-taught guitar player, self-proclaimed no-wave French artiste. She was kind of ahead of her time, I would say. She saw Patti Smith and television at CBGB's. She saw Basquiat at the Kitchen. She recorded in Nassau while Grace Jones was recording nightclubbing next door. She collaborated with musicians in apartheid era South Africa before Graceland. She had Chet Baker to play on one of her albums and it wow. turned out to be his last recording or one of them. And so, yeah, she's just kind of always, I think, a little bit ahead of her time. But this album is one of my favorites that I learned about later in life, actually. And it's just one I continue to go back to. It's really funky, but like I said, it's probably a little bit more no wave kind of punk funk in a way but you know there's a lot of that punk funk stuff that we love but and yeah I think I've read that you know this album now may seem kind of commercial but at the time it was 
there wasn't really anything like it. And so, and I think this album, much like Madam X's album, she ran into trouble getting it pressed and getting it distributed um, and given, you know, put out for the people to hear. So she kind of suffered a little bit from that as well. Wow. Yeah. The track we just heard is called Funky Stuff, which is also... It's saying, you know, it says that Cool and the Gang, this is their song, but you can tell that she totally just made it her own. Like, it does not sound like the Cool and the Gang version at all. So, right. yeah. Lizzie, that's great. Funky. She's very funky. Wow, that's a totally a new Send one. Send me links, curate. I always tell people when they're introducing me to artists I haven't heard, send me your best of. Right? Okay, yeah. Two or three songs or four songs or however many are on your best of. And I will, I will go down that rabbit hole. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Now we're getting to the a little bit more famous ones. But I, I would say those are probably two more of the deeper cut albums on my list. Um, and everything on my list is old. There's nothing that goes above 1987. So this next one is from 1981. The title of the album is It Must Be Magic, and that's by Miss Tina Marie. Yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Tina. So, Tina Marie, Californian young singer. On Motown, actually, she this It Must Be Magic album is her fourth studio album, and it is her last album for Motown and one of the highest selling of her career. It includes the hit, which we just heard, Square Biz, um, and that's one of her biggest singles, which is why I chose this one. I could have chosen Star Child because Star Child has Lover Girl, but... This one has more funk to it. This record has more of the funk sound. And also, yeah, thank you to uh, uh, Rick James for her label mate, Rick James, for helping her get a little shine, too, so she could put out more records. (laughs) Okay, I got stories. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, Square Biz is the one. Square Biz, yes. All right, so let me tell you what happened. Square Biz to you, baby. let me tell you what happened when that song hit. And that was the first thing released kind of commercially on black radio. No one knew that she was white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the point that arguments and fights broke out when somebody said she's white. Not possible. We had never heard a white female singer jump off into some funk like that so hard. So like funk heads, there's funk and there's hard funk. That means unadulterated, unforgiving, straight in your face funk. Square Biz is one of those songs. Someone that I mentored on bass, great bass player, name's Eric Minus, toured with her, at least did two, two gigs with her as a sub um, before, of course, she passed. And while I was at Hampton, I played with a keyboard player who came out of the Rick James camp who oh. had worked with all of them. His wow. name's Flick. And he was a keyboard player in that production camp 
Um, so again, you, you just, you just knocking it out. He was older when he came back to school, but of course, musicians and musicians and we gravitate to each other, but right. yeah. So phenomenal, phenomenal choices. Yeah. Thank you. And this one's packed with jams. I mean, that song, it must be magic. So good. Also this album has, uh, another funk queen on it. Patrice Russian on keys. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good a good duo right there. For sure. Oh, yeah. I have chills just. Patrice about is a funk stage. goddess. Yes. Yeah, she is. Oh, so good. Well, speaking of funk goddesses, and especially ones from other planets, my number two from 1974, Betty Davis. They say I'm different. Yes. Gosh, I have chills just thinking about these ladies. Like they are so (laughs) otherworldly and just mind blowing and ahead of their time, futuristic before the future even exists. Yep. Yep. Um, So, uh, yeah, what else? We've talked about Betty Davis in the store, but more so we've talked about her self titled album. This is, they say, I'm different, which, you know, should be dupe and cop him. Not only is she very just forward thinking in, gosh, in attitude, in dress, in music, but her, the ideas, the the themes of her songs even are way ahead of her time. It's not normal for someone, a woman in her time talking about love as freely as she is. And, uh, and also she produced her own album. She was very much a do-it-myself kind of gal, especially being wow. the former wife of Miles Davis. You don't... Uh, you don't want to take his name and and become something just because of him. Like she wanted to be her own artist. So yeah, you taught me some things. I did not know she produced her own stuff. Yeah, I do well know after the first, so pro- yeah after the first record. I know that she was so prolific that she taught Miles some things. Oh yeah, yeah. Bitches brew. That's thanks to her. Yes, pretty much. Wow. I mean, not all thanks. Another to good he's, one. He's a br- he's a brilliant artist too. So we won't give all the credit to Betty, but yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to guess who number one is going to be. I think I oh. know. We're, we're going to see. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. Oh, okay, so number one is actually one that I learned about in college, and it just stayed with me. I love this. Gr- this is a group, actually. I love this group so much. They're so funky, but like in a minimal way. And that is ESG. The album is Come Away with ESG from 1981. Wow. I, I, <laughs> the song Dance is the one that I love the most. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm taking notes right now. So <laughs> I'm always taking notes with Tara's lists. Yeah. I thought you were going to go with Rufus and Shaka Khan. Oh, yeah. It's groovy. It's groovy. <laughs> it. Nice. So ESG stands for Emerald, Sapphire, and Gold. The band's name It is uh, supposedly all of their birthstones. But, um, except for gold, is gold a birthstone? 
I right. don't know. <laughs> um, so. But they all play their own instruments, and it's minimal funk in the way that there's no brass, really, but you do have the fun vocals, the bass, the percussion. They, so... One of their songs, Moody, was one of the top 50 songs of all time for Paradise Garage. And it mm. became a foundational track for house music, which had really started emerging at that time. So they are kind of pivotal, I would say, a pivotal funk act that doesn't really get talked about too much. And I wonder if it's because they're all women or is it because they don't have brass or, you know, I don't know. I love them so much, though. That was my number one. That's fantastic, Tara. They remind me very much of, of course, Delight. Yes, that was... Yes. Oh, yeah. Your delight in all of that immediately. And another funny, uh, interesting, unlimited touch story. They were the first live band to play at the Paradise Garage. Delight? No, unlimited touch. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, so, but they come out of that. New, they're a New York-based band, so they come out of yeah. that, that, that entire scene. Wow, I love I'm, I'm, that whole Danceteria stuff, like moment. And I learned actually a lot more about that whole um, scene from the Beastie Boys book, the Danceteria scene, like, mm. um, you know, all that stuff they're playing there. I can't even get it into all of them, but yeah, it's so, so good. Good stuff. Fun stuff. I kind of wish I was there at the time in that room watching everybody. That was a killer list. Yeah, thanks, Natalie. Yeah, I'm excited to hear everyone else's. It was just too hard for me to go after those big giant greats. And I, so I went off track a little bit, but hopefully- I like the all lady. But you know what yeah. though, you're, you're on to something and we could have done a whole, or can at some point in time, do a whole conversation about the women of funk because you take the Tom Tom Club oh. and you take Genius <laughs> of Love. I almost put them on my list too, yeah. All right, because- that song is so prolific. Oh, it continu- yeah. it's, it's timeless. It continues to be sampled and redone and redone. And the bass player's a woman. Tina Weymouth, she's so badass. Phenomenal I love her. bass player. Yeah. Tina, phenomenal bass player. So that 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 was a massive contribution. And they're more, they're, 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 they're more of a, you know, kind of punk pop band, yeah. but they dropped a couple funk bombs like wordy rapping rapping hood yeah and and pleasure of love yes just funk bombs game changers especially genius of love yeah i mean that song is epic Uh, yeah epic we could yeah there's so many lists we could play and i was even thinking there's so much like fun ethiopian funk um there's like so much, you could go down any sort of funk rabbit hole and make a million lists, different best funk bassists, you know. But, and, and we can do that. <laughs> Just, <laughs> do a whole series. But I'm let's in. hear your list. I'm excited to hear all the stories you have to tell about your top five albums, funk albums. I, I got stories. <laughs> so we are going to start with Sly and the Family Stone and Stand. And Stand is a, it's a prolific, prolific album. Is this your number five or is this your number one? Well, 
I'm starting, the way that I did this was by year of release. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Because um, I can't, I cannot really rank one over the other. No, it's too hard. It's impossible. Right. <laughs> and this was released in 1969. On this album is Stand, which is, which is a great song. And a really important protest song is Don't Call Me N-Word. Whitey, don't call me Whitey N-word. So mm-hmm. it's a really important song. Yeah. And then, you, you know, there are songs that, again, they, they've just become a part of the culture. I want to take you higher. Just incredible. So here's a band at the time that is mixing cultural, uh, or mixing culturally, it's black, it's white, Hispanic. It's this, it's really what America should be like. And the music sounds like that. It is the convergence of rock and funk and soul and blues. Mm -hmm. And this entire album, top to bottom, with many songs that are just a part of our culture, top to bottom. I I just, there are times in my life where I was so obsessed with this album that it's all I listened to for weeks and months at a time. Sing a simple song, another big, Mm -hmm. big, big, big song. Everyday people, of course. There is no arrested development without everyday people. And yeah. it's just another song that is is covered, is being covered someplace tonight, <laughs> right? So uh, a really important album. Of course, you can make it if you try. These are soundtracks of so many movies and, and, and part of our culture. That was my first record. So this- So good. So this, and if you, if you have any thoughts or input, I know I had, I had a lot of commentary. Um. <laughs> no, yeah, it's man, Sly, another one from another planet. When we saw Prince, we saw Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, so mm-hmm. Prince is really a hybrid and a revolution of Sly and the Family Stone and Little Richard. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing old little Richard stuff and, and looking at Prince and the whole vibe from the little pencil mustache, the hair, the whole androgynous thing. I was little Richard. And then, that, and then and there's so much Hendrix in Prince, too, who arguably has several funk songs camouflaged as rock. Yeah. I just keep thinking about, I keep thinking about, uh, the Sly and the Family Stone performance from, um, what is it? Summer of Love, that oh, uh, Summer Quest of Love Soul. documentary. Summer of Soul. Oh, Summer of Soul. That yes. documentary is so good. So amazing. And watching them and it just, like you said, Tara, like, uh, was I born a few decades right. too late? Right. <laughs> like just to have been there to witness that. It was such, so powerful even to just watch through the TV, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. So my next album, and I am absolutely, my favorite band in the world is Cameo. Cameo, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Cameo is the only funk band that had hits across four decades. Oh. Yeah. To the point so prolific that every relevant marching band, from black marching bands to marching bands at white schools, play talking out the side of your neck, which is a big song. I was watching a Baylor, it might've been Tennessee volleyball game and the rally band 
bust into talking out the side of your neck. And which yeah. is funny because it's a political song. It's a protest song. And it is all, all uh, you know, talking about the Reagan administration and their kind oh. of assault on civil rights, right? right. So mm-hmm. talking out the side of your neck, but it's become so universal. Now, that's not on this album. <laughs> that's a couple albums later. But um, they are also one of the first bands to bring in Afro-Cuban rhythms into their funk. Um, Wait, which album is on your list of theirs? So let's start. I guess we need to start with the album. (laughs) The name of this album is called Feel Me. It was released sometime in... It was released on October 6th, 1980. And from the top song, these Afro-Cuban rhythms, you're going to hear from the first song, Throw It Down. And then it just continues to get funkier and funkier (laughs) as the album goes with Your Love Takes Me Out. And like my favorite cameo song is Keep It Hot. But this entire album, all the way down, is just a funk buffet. A <laughs> funk and buffet. I love that. Big bands. I, I'm talking two, two, somebody on keys, somebody on organ, somebody on piano, right? Full horn section, rhythm and lead guitar, percussionist, and, you know, bass guitar, this and that. Now, Larry Blackman who's became famous for the cod piece is the person in this picture in the middle. He's one of the greatest funk drummers of all time. And he used to sing from the drum set, but also they integrated the big, big vocals and counter melodies and all of that is inside their music. I love how you mentioned that marching bands play cameo because I do remember from Beyonce's homecoming uh, they did the candy breakdown. They do candy. Yeah. Enduring mm-hmm. before I let go. Yeah. Candy is in the culture. She has remixed it. Every black wedding you will ever go to. <laughs> Because yep. it was it was also in the move in, 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 you know, kind of the black famous movies. So that's a big part of that soundtrack. And of course, um, you know, both single life and um, uh, she's strange and word up. Mm-hmm. Like, word up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just, you can't, you, you cannot ignore them and marching bands play word up too. That's just how, that's just how prolific they were. It's, it's really insane from 77 to what their most recent release was like 2000 even. Yeah. 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 To just be, regularly putting out music in like solid, like no skip level albums. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's crazy. Here's the thing. Here's the other thing. They used to make bands mad because they literally would blow everybody off the stage. By the time they left the stage, because their show, they're very theatrical. Uh, Larry Blackman went to Juilliard for several years. Uh, He might even graduated from Juilliard. But their shows, I mean, the choreography, the dancing, and it was very, very, it's very artsy stuff. But I've seen them probably, probably 10 times. I remember most famously, I saw them in concert with 
the Gap Band, Whoa. with Rick James, what? with Cool and the Gang. Stop. Here was the problem. <laughs> By the time Cameo left the stage, and that was before Rick James, there was nothing left for anybody else. <laughs> and I think we ended up leaving in the middle of Cam- Commodores because you just... Man. Yeah, there was there's a problem. Wow. Uh, let's get on to the next one. I did mine in years. And this one is interesting because this is a hybrid, right? So what time is it by the time... One of the most <laughs> prolific funk bands of all time that did not even record the album. So this is Prince's alter ego as a funk musician. You know, Vanity Six, The Time, these other bands were yeah. his alter egos. So that is Morris Day. Morris Day is, is said that he is, he is, he's Prince's cousin. They were very close. They're not related. They're right. very close. He recorded on this album. Uh, he's a great drum, actually. So he recorded and he sang on this album. Pretty much everything else, for the most part, is Prince. This gives me Prince full-on funk because his other albums aren't full-on funk. He's got funk on them. The time is full-on funk top to bottom. One of his Prince's funkiest albums is Dirty Mind, which is one of my favorite albums. So this gives us, this is Prince and the time, the time still had a lot of influence post the album because they were all brilliant, brilliant musicians. But this album has a song that's still relevant today. It also has one of the nastiest bass lines, a song called 77793. 77793. <laughs> that's the jam right there. Um, monster performances, monster funky. And you have to remember that, okay, this is released in 1982. In 1982, I'm a freshman or a sophomore. You know, the years cross. You know, I'm a freshman, 81, 82. So I think in the summer of 82, this album drops. And I remember my cousin calling me from the record store. Same cousin who got me started bass. His name's Scott Huggins, brilliant producer. He has to call me from the record store. Your record store wasn't wasn't there yet. You, I don't, you all weren't even thoughts yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so funny that we're in a record store having this conversation. Right. Because he calls me from the record store and just puts the, the receiver up so I can hear it. And it was some of the funkiest stuff I had ever heard wow. in my life. In this entire album, from the beginning, uh, from Wild and Loose in the beginning, 7790311, The Walk, and and cool, which everybody kind of knows. Mm-hmm. It's in the culture. But um, so this drops in 1982. Prolific, still relevant today. That's the thing about every one of the albums that I chose. So funky, they could never be ignored in any decade and will never be ignored for all of history. So prolific. All right. So now... This next album is funk camouflaged as jazz. <laughs> and it is Tutu by Miles Davis. 
Now, let me tell you a little bit more about this. One of the most prolific funk bass players of our generation, really going on in the, the last two generations, is Marcus Miller. Marcus Miller has worked with everybody that you care to mention. He plays multiple instruments, and it's really a Marcus Miller album yeah. that Miles Davis played on. Marcus wrote and produced all of these songs, played many of the instruments, and it is so incredibly funky. It changed the way instrumental music was recorded and delivered. Most famously, in the song that's going to be played tonight, someplace is Tutu, which everybody plays. You just have to have it in your repertoire. But they also, on this album, covered Perfect Way by Scritti Politti in a monster 80s European, you know, kind of pop funk band um, they cover on this album. But this entire album, top to bottom, just press play, incredible, incredible levels of funk. Are you, are you both familiar with this album? I'm not. I'm not very familiar with this. Um, Marcus Miller co-wrote The Butt. He did. (laughs) Famously, story with a drummer named Juju House, who is from Maryland, who is a friend of mine and that I play with from time to time. Tio, you're just connected to everything funky. Yeah, it's true. Well, check this out. Check this out. Juju House is the drummer on Slave to the Rhythm. Oh, my goodness. He is. You know, one of my my favorite hip hop live album is Arrested Development Live. Mm. You've never heard the album. It's incredible. Juju House is the drummer on that. I saw them live. Does he just play on that live recording or does he play with them? Or did he? He, he played, he toured with them too. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I saw him. Maybe I experienced with the rest his of development? live show. You probably have. And Juju has played with everybody from Britney Spears and most famously Chuck Brown and EU. So EU. Did, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it all comes back to debut. <laughs> and it's just he's all over the place so he's uh he's he's a legend so that's four uh-huh. i don't know that i gave the year for that so that's 1986 game changer so for people who are always like talking about hating on 80s music as far as like black music and hip music and dance music and funk music is concerned it's like the most prolific decade like it's yeah. the template mm-hmm. for everything for sure. that we do and yeah. it was still kind of like the last human-driven decade. It starts to become very, although there's some really important synth funk that comes out of this era. All right, here is we go. Is this your last one or? This is my, this is my last one, and then I'm going to give you an honorable mention. Oh, okay, okay. Drum roll. <laughs> so this is P-Funk, the P-Funk All-Stars. Live at the Beverly Theater. You know, Funkadelic is P-Funk All-Stars, which is kind of a a super group of Parliament and Funkadelic formed the P-Funk All-Stars. This live album, Live at the Beverly Theater. Yeah, I 
oh my god might be the greatest live funk album of all time their version of knee deep is unstoppable you are going to hear hits and breaks and stuff that was sampled all across hip-hop and that people have done versions of um their version of flashlight on this album um gosh yeah it's stacked is a, yeah. a monster one nation under a groove maggot brain it is a monster a drug you <laughs> must have you are not you cannot call your a funkaholic without this album and these albums in your collection and knowing them if you're around funkheads. I'm talking about subculture now. I'm talking about you're in a room of funkheads. You gotta know these albums. They're that prolific. I'm just reading too that Prince went to one of these performances and it inspired him to record Erotic City. Mm. Which is one of my favorite Prince songs. Yeah. So where are you getting this story? That's a phenomenal story. On the Wikipedia for this album. Oh, wow. I haven't even read the Wikipedia. I just pulled up the <laughs> Wikipedia. Yeah. So listen. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's crazy, I believe right? It. I, be- well, I believe it. Listen, Funk Nation is strong. And, and like, I've listened to probably 10 Prince books since he passed. Yeah. And um, because now everybody's talking, everybody was under a gag order before, so they couldn't talk. So, so Funkadelic, they're listening to, they're all influenced by Cameo, every one of them. Um, and you, you can actually hear it, like in the beginning of Wild and Loose, that long. If you go back to Cameo, who's recording 10 years before that, that's they introduced that into the world of funk. So, so, so funk like jazz is this hybrid, and we know. And we're leaning on each other. It is, it's a subculture just like straight edge jazz or punk or everything else. So it's a very, very tight-knit community. So it does not surprise me because Erotic City was one of the funkiest songs that he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's always in my hair and party up and this and that. You can yeah. absolutely hear, hear the connection, um, the relationship between those songs. So I so those are my five gotta haves gotta have now I could go I could have twenty more <laughs> yeah no it's impossible to <laughs> limit it to five it's like yeah need a whole but wall full of funk albums everybody listening and I don't know what the follow up is after this I would love to hear back from people who actually took the journey and just press play on each album from the top of the bottom, starting with both of you all, just to go on that, go on that journey. I'd love to hear Book such fine musical ears that like both of you have. Yeah. Um, to hear what, what your experience is with these albums. But you know what? I actually have not heard this live album, but George Clinton did come to Northwestern during my sophomore year. And it was like the most amazing thing. I'd ever seen. We had so much fun at that show. It's like, why is George Clinton just on campus giving us a concert? It was, it was amazing. So I've met George. What? Of course. Tio. That was an amazing, amazing list. It was an amazing list. Recommendation for you there. And if you haven't seen this, uh, every time I mention, no one's ever even heard of it. That's why I say that. There's this uh, animated docu-series. I've I seen th- it. I think it's on Oh, you have the, it's the Mike Judge Tales from the Tour Bus? All of them. Aren't they so good? 
amazing. <laughs> so you got to tell, again, listen, yeah. there's not much that happens in the world of funk. Um, and there's some great documentaries yeah. out on YouTube that are free that I haven't seen. So I always tell people like, I am a funk musician first, but kind of like Marcus Miller, who's, who's the biggest influence on me as a bass player. But there are others, Lewis Johnson and Larry Graham, and who really started, you know, what funk bass is today. But um, his recipe for pretty much everything is funk on the bottom, everything else on the top. Because that relationship between drums, bass, and space, that's the key. Drums, bass, and space. Oh, that's space. the first time I've ever said, said that. I'm going to have to use that from now on. Put that on a And this sticky, is getting published. It's drums, bass, space, and syncopation. The energy that happens on a funk groove is what carries all kinds of music. The, the, the best rock is still funk on the bottom. Back in Black is funk on the bottom. Another one, Bites Dust, is actually a funk song yeah. that a rock band did. But you, you can you just go through them. Rock the Casbah. That that's oh, a, yeah. actually a 100%, funk song. Yeah. You, you know, and there's so much of it under under you know like the groove in this rock. Yeah, because if it the aggression on the bottom of a funk song it can be sexy, can be angry, can be smooth and feel good, but there's still a nastiness to it, which is why you get the funk face when you hear. It. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. My favorite rock band is the Foo Fighters. David oh, Grohl famously uh, I love in an, that in, story. Yeah. In an, in a um yeah, interview with Pharrell recently said, "All of my drums come from listening to funk." The beginning of of Smells Like Teen Spirit is the beginning of Need He's like, I'm listening to Cameo, I'm listening to Funkadelic and he put all of that in the minute I heard Nirvana. I was like, Who's the dude on drums? <laughs> I could, t- he was speaking in funk. And it, Foo Fighters, their stuff is so funky, but so was Nirvana. So, you know, it's just, it's an important conversation to, to continue to have. And I'm so excited about the resurgence in the interest, thanks to Uptown Funk. Oh, yeah. Bruno. That just put it right out in people's face because the funk movement is alive in Europe. And it's resurging here. So, you know, thank God to those people who are carrying the church or the funky funk. But even the best club songs, I mean, like the bottom of it still is still funk. Well, we're doing our part. We're having everyone in the store. We're putting them on blast to go home and put on some funk, play some of these things we've been chatting about. Mm-hmm. You know, these are fundamentals, yeah. right? Fundamentals. I can't wait there, to hear Natalie's list. Oh man, bringing it home. I am amazed to say there are no overlaps what? in our lists thus That's far. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I, know. Um, I was very, very vexed by this too because there's just so many good things to choose from. So I, I needed a way to to whittle it down. So I decided to pick things that were particularly like had sentimental value for me. You know, mm-hmm. personally, things I grew up hearing, whatever. All right. So that was like the only way I could manage to get down to five. Um, so for my number five spot, this one even was this one was quite contentious. I had to just flip a few coins <laughs> to settle on a number five spot. Um, but I'm going to stand by it because I do like it. It is uh, The World is a Ghetto from War from 1972. Oh, 
now. So this is the fifth studio album from War, you know, the Long Beach band known for fusing elements of funk, progressive soul, rock, and Latin styles, as well as for having a multi-ethnic lineup, um, which has morphed quite a bit over the years. They've had like, I don't know, a thousand different musicians come in and out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this band, they, they used music to boost a message of hope and unity and speak out against the gang life and crime and racism that they witnessed uh, growing up in the LA inner city. This album reached number one on Billboard and was Billboard's best-selling album of 1973. So it definitely made a major impact. Although I feel like this album is really polarizing among war fans or maybe just like funk heads in general. Either they're like, oh, this is great, it's a classic, or this is totally unmemorable and boring. Um, but I quite enjoy it. I do think there are some clear like highs and lows throughout, you know, through the record but I dig it. So let's hear a bit of the single, this the song that everybody knows, The Cisco Kid. Mm, great song. Yeah, so this is like one of my all-time favorite grooves. You know how you were just saying to you, like sometimes those songs come on and you get that stank face <laughs> and your neck just starts cracking. You know, this is that song for me. Ever since I was a kid, even before I knew who War was, when this song came on the radio, I just was like, I was just pulled into it. Love it. Um, also kind of like a similar vibe to that is the last track, Beatles in the Bog. I dig that one too. I really think like Cisco Kid, Beatles in the Bog and... Um, me and Baby Brother, which came on the album after this, I believe. Those are like my big three war jams right there. But this also has a city, country, city, like an epic 13-minute long jam session where every band member gets gets some time to go crazy. Yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's a fun listen. Yeah. Nice. All right. For number four, I have Street Songs from Rick James, 1981. <laughs> so <laughs> So from here, it's funny. Phenomenal <laughs> album. I, I know. Yeah. I, I think you're going to see a theme in my albums because I am such a big synth head. I'm way into electronic music. So a lot of these albums are going to be that point in the early 80s where you had this like funk new wave synth pop marriage. You know, those were the kinds of, of funk albums I was really drawn to. So here we have Rick James, the king of punk funk, right? His fifth and his highest charting album spent 20 weeks at number one. Uh, on the U.S. R&B charts, wow. monster singles out of this one, man. Um, let's let's check out the first one and the album's first track, "Give It to Me, Baby." So I think this is one of like the most recognizable funk bass lines out there, and like what a way to kick off an album. Give it to me, what you say? That's my favorite part. <laughs> when, he, when he starts singing that line, I go, I just go crazy. I don't know. Rick James is wild. One of the greatest albums, funk albums of all times. And trust me, yes. it's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. And also yes. the live version that they include in the deluxe edition, like later they released, uh, uh -huh. has uh -huh. square biz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's hot. That's on Spotify. That yeah, that deluxe album. Um, this al also had "Super Freak" was the next single. Needs no introduction. Right. Just just crazy, crazy huge. This earned Rick James a Grammy nod for best male rock vocal, and he was the first black singer to be nominated in that category. 
which is pretty cool. Which is... Which is crazy. I know, I know. <laughs> That's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane, yes. Sure, yes. Okay, but still, just want to give the man his props. Yes, right, exactly. Um, Rolling Stone ranked the song in its 500 greatest songs of all time, but honestly, following Rolling Stone's recent best singers of all time debacle, Ooh. I don't think we care. Yeah, I just don't think we care anymore. I want to yeah. know who's at the table and were there arguments? Because Yeah, right, right. But yeah, Super Freak is, is definitely a banger. Um, lots of hot features on this album from Motown label Mates The Temptations, including uh, Melvin Franklin, who is Rick James's uncle. Uh, Mary Jane oh. Girls, Stevie Wonder, Gerald Albright, and of course, Miss Tina Marie, whom we've already discussed, which brings me to Fire and Desire, <laughs> <laughs> which is just, might be my favorite ballad of all time. <laughs> oh, I tell you, that song right there. That is my favorite. Um, this was never a single, but it just blew up so big. It became one of his most popular songs. Let's see what else we got going on. For those who think Rick James was... In, in, on Black Radio, all of that was massive. Oh, yeah. Didn't always cross over. Yeah, yeah. That cover, too, um, with those red boots. Oh, he was fly. Now, so Rick James fly. now. Yeah. Sharp. Pretty. You know, he and Prince, legendary. Oh, yeah. Their, their rivalry, rivalry is legendary, so... Yeah, yeah. I love I love Prince and Rick James stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, for those who think Rick James was all sex, drugs, and shenanigans, check out uh, Mr. Policeman. I'll play a little clip. It's a shame. It's a disgrace. Why every time you show your face, somebody dies, man. Yeah, so this song... It's a little unusual, like it got kind of political here. The song is all about police brutality in black community, black communities. And, you know, it's still every bit as relevant decades later. Mm -hmm. um, it features Stevie Wonder on harmonica, Tina Marie on backup, just great punchy horns going on. It's a really unique sound, I think, for that album. It has this like kind of reggae rhythm, which kind of reminds me like of war a little bit in a way as well. Um, let's see a few more tracks on there. I haven't mentioned ghetto life was the third single. I also like below the funk, both very funky songs about growing up in Buffalo. But the guitar riff on ghetto life. Are you kidding? Are you? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a hot album. Like no skips really just, just really well-written songs, stellar vocals throughout from Rick James, like a true classic. Because back then you had to bring albums. You had to bring albums. Yeah, yeah. You weren't the truth. I mean, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of skipping. When they started overcharging for CDs and, and dropping a couple tape singles, they stopped making full albums. Everything, you know, it's just bananas. At any rate. Yeah. All right, let's see. We're at number three. We've got Computer Games from George Clinton. This came out in 1982. Uh, this was George Clinton's first like solo album, even though it includes, you know, the, the old posse from Parliament Funkadelic days, including Bootsy Collins, Maceo Parker, the Brides of Funkenstein, you know. But at this point, that whole collective had uh, disbanded. And things were kind of in disarray with George Clinton around this time, like professionally and personally. So this was his like re-debut into, into music. 
And as the name implies, this was his response to like the electro funk wave that was beginning to dominate in the early 80s. And like he wasn't afraid of it at all. He was he was ready. He was a self-proclaimed Star Trek fanatic. And he'd at that point also become obsessed with video games. And so he was really ready to like translate all that into the music. I have to read this quote from an interview he did with Yahoo Entertainment that I love. The computer was just on my mind. I could hear it coming from Kraftwerk, and I could tell that stuff was getting ready to be new. They hadn't even named it yet, but it was a new wave. Um, the first thing old school musicians worried about is that computers was going to take our place when it came to instruments, which they did to a certain extent. Um, a lot of people worried about the Mellotron, but I figured I'd just make it funky. If it was a robot, then give him a booty and program him to be funky, which I love. <laughs> He was right. That yeah, stuff's so, about to pop off. Yeah, seriously. I mean, like, Atomic Dog came off this album, and that was just massive. Let's hear some of that. And the story's out about that mistake. He didn't like it. <laughs> what, Atomic Dog? Yep, he didn't like it. Biggest, biggest, <laughs> his biggest song. His biggest song. Right. And it wasn't even really like he improvised most of it. He said he did like one or two takes and just kind of went in there and a classic was born. <laughs> the person who produced it is telling a story on YouTube now. It's amazing. Again, I'm in high school when that drops. Oh, my God. What that did for the world. You talk about a rising tide that lifted us all. That was one of them. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It was huge. It dethroned Michael Jackson's Billie Jean uh, from the number one oh. spot. On the R&B charts. And quiet as it's kept, Billie Jean, a funk song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. dun, 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 dun. Anything that carries the bass, the, the, the bass and the drums carry like that, linear. Yeah, yeah. This was also around the same time that George Clinton was working with the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they were young, young guns in the studio mm -hmm. in the 80s. Oh, yeah, I guess so. And again, they're, the basis for what they do is funk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He has jazz albums, too. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. And uh, he's a jazz trumpeter. Did you know that? I just learned that recently, so had to throw that one in. <laughs> Ooh, Flea? Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, and the other big single off that track, too, was uh, Loopzilla, which was also really, really dope and funky. But yeah, you want to talk about staples at black weddings and barbecues, at Atomic Dog all the way, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. can change the way people thought about Space, bass lines, drum programs, all of that. Mm -hmm. Reverse, you know, re reversing drums. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we are at number two. I picked Alligator Woman from Cameo <laughs> from 1982. <laughs> yeah, this is. Yeah. So I actually started with Word Up on this list just off the strength of Word Up and Candy. But if I'm going like pound for pound funk of course with that new wave vibe i had to go with this one i mean their older albums are certainly like the further back you go the funkier it gets like uh you know nights by nights is another track i really love from that 1981 album all the way back to funk funk and rigor mortis off the cardiac arrest album in 77 i mean there's just a ton oh they've got so much good music to choose from but so I picked, on that alligator woman album yeah yeah as well, as well. yeah so Alligator Woman is their eighth studio album recorded in Atlanta, actually. Um, but I picked this one because it really solidified that funk and new wave hybrid sound that they were really known for in the late 80s and in the 90s. Um, and at this point, Larry Blackman had trimmed the band down to a quartet 
you know, from its original, what, like 13 member lineup or something. What, what year does Alligator Woman drop? That was 82. Fun fact, the model on the album's cover is Vanity. It is. Yes, Miss Denise Matthews, yes. Yes. So I want to hear... Part of my honorable mentions. Rock on, rock on. Uh, the first couple of tracks are just pure funk, dance party bangers, Be Yourself and Soul Army. Let's let's do Soul Army. Let's hear a little bit of that. Uh, Larry Blackman has such distinctive vocals and he's like really clever too. Um, I love that signature vowel extension he does with his ow. <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> I love that so much. He's so cool. And then like Charlie Singleton, of course, is just going off on this whole album on vocals, on keys, on guitar. Just, uh, just monster, monster hits. We've got Flirt, Enjoy Your Life. The title track is like really quirky too. It leans more into that new wave space. Like, like. Yeah. Kind of B-52s even-ish. Yes. And then it transitions into Secrets of Time, which is like this soulful rock ballad. It's really, really cool. It's a great album. Oh, my God, the hours I spent listening to that album. Yeah. One more more track I have to shout out is I Owe It All to You. Oh, I really, yeah. really dig that. That intro is so interesting. It's got that like re- repeating phrase at the start. And I'm like, surely Jay Dilla or some big hip hop producer, you know, had to have done something with that little phrase. It just it just screams hip hop to me. And then they come in with these beautiful harmonies. I mean, it's a short song, but it's not a passive listen. There's like too many cool little elements happening in there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Somewhere in the middle of that. um, what was I saying? I owe it all to you track, like in the vocal climax, it starts to feel like like a Prince track even. Like all these things start to kind of like overlap. It's a it's a great album. This is one of my favorite cameo albums for sure. It was a monster album. Listen, that 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 alligator woman, oh my God, mm-hmm. was a monster, you know, uh when that hit. And then just be yourself was a massive. Yeah. Be Yourself is hot at the top of that album. It's crazy. That's like that whiplash groove <laughs> when it starts. <laughs> it's like yeah. Mike Tyson. It's just coming at you. You cannot. Yeah. <laughs> and so here's another thing about Cameo. If you listen to them, they famously are known for doubling their bass lines with guitar. Slightly overdriven. It gives it a little extra edge. Almost oh, wow. every one of their songs doubles guitar with, with those bass lines. Gives it, what, what I say is this, it puts a little extra ass on everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's mad assy. You know, I'm in rehearsals and you'll Asshole. hear me say to the band, man, I need you to put a little ass on that. Get out a little AOI. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's funny. All right. So. This is my number one. It's definitely more hybrid than any of the others, but I'm, I'm standing by it. It's 1999 from Prince. Came out in 1982. Um, this is his fifth studio album. The first he recorded with his band, The Revolution. I feel like this was kind of like the breakthrough, like the album that catapulted Prince into just full-on megastar status. It was. Um, it, yeah. there, is no, there is no Purple Rain without 1999. 
Yeah, he just like really masterfully like established this Minneapolis future funk sound with all those like synth pop elements and that signature Lynn LM1, you know, beat making that he was so awesome at. Just nobody can make a drum machine sound funkier than Prince, really. That album's full of funk, full of funk. The only reason it didn't make my list is because it's not completely a funk album. I know, I know. I know. I knew someone would say that. <laughs> Dance music, sex, romance. Dance music, sex, That's the jam. Lady, Lady cab, cab driver. driver. Yes. Lady cab driver. Yeah, it's fantastic. I will say, though, one of my favorite tracks on that album is Something in the Water. Something in the water does not compute. Not compute, especially when <laughs> it gets into those little chord changes. Like, for me, like being a synth head, this beat right here drives me insane. It's one of my favorite Prince grooves. And like with its more computerized production, it might not immediately come off as funk, but I hear funk in this song all the way through in the style of the vocals. And you know what, Tio, that feeling was validated for me when I, I heard the original version of the track. There's actually a really great live performance of this. They did it uh, First Avenue in 1984. I think they have it on, on YouTube as well. Um, and I'd actually I want to play a clip of that so you all can hear it. Dude, that don't compute, baby. What's a hang up? But it is like true serious funk. Uh, the, you know? Funk undercurrent for sure. Oh yeah. And then you put that that beat on top of it, it's just like perfect. It comes it just shoots right to my soul. <laughs> that track. Yeah, so that was my number one. Um, last thing I want to say about that though, DMSR. So Prince did in 2011, Prince did an epic 21 show run at the Forum in Inglewood, California. And I caught a couple of those shows and he opened with DMSR on one of the, those nights. And it's like, I thought, I thought the whole venue was going to just explode. It was such a hot opener. Man. I had to share that. I'm yeah. so jealous. I never got to see That's him. That's fantastic. Such a good time. All right. We did it. We funked. We funked. We came, we saw, we funked. Up. Yeah. I feel very funky right now. Let's do some uh, honorable mentions. Because I know we yeah. had lots of things on our list. Tara, what you got? Prince, 1999. Rockin'. I kind of just dropped some heavy hitters. Not uh, no, no ladies on the honorable mentions. Herbie Hancock, Headhunters, Funkadelic, yes. Maggot Brain, William Onyebar. Who is William Onyebar? Uh, and The Meters. The Meters. Meters. Yeah. Self, nice. Self-titled. Yeah. I mean, there's a million yeah, others. Cool, like cool. We, could keep, we, we could keep going on and on, but... These are just like top of mind ones. So, yeah, yeah. What about you, Natalie? We had some overlaps there. I also had Headhunters, Maggot Brain. Um, I had Wild and Peaceful from Cool and the Gang. I really wanted to include Zap. Yes. I love, I love Roger and Zap. Zap. Um, I had the Payback from James Brown, just because the Payback's like my favorite James Brown song of all time. Uh, here's another lady for you. I had Sharon Jones and the Dap yes. Kings. And uh, Return of the Space Cowboy from Jamiroquai. I, want, so I, love yeah, too, I wanted up. to put that one on there, too. I totally forgot about for my honorable mention. Yes, Jamiroquai. Yeah. How about you, Tio? Yeah, I got a thousand of them. I'll be quick. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll start with Unlimited Touch. Both I hear music in the streets and searching to find the one. Still two of the funkiest, funkiest jams. So funky, they're still relevant. They've never left the airwaves and never left uh, the clubs. Michelle and Deggio Cello, oh, Plantation Lullabies. Yes. The entire album is actually a funk album. Yeah. It is crazy. So Janet Jackson's first and second album with Jam and Lewis. Oh. So again, what what have you done for me lately when that hit the streets? Of course, it 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 is kind of like what happened when when Billie Jean hit the streets. Same formula, funky bass line, and two of the biggest funk producers coming out of the Prince camp, Jam and Lewis. So their whole formula was funk on the bottom, everything else on the top. Rhythm Nation is actually a loop of Sly and the Family Stone. That's Sly and the Family Stone. That's a break from Sly and the Family Stone. SOS, Just Be Good to Me, also produced Mm -hmm. by Jam and Lewis. But your time is before Jam and Lewis. SOS is one of the funkiest bands. S-O-S-S-O-S-S-O-S. Listen to the first album, Crazy. Black marching bands cover that at Hampton, Hampton University. What? Yes, they cover the funk. My <laughs> alma mater. Rufus and Shaka Khan. Right? Ain't, nobody. Ain't nobody. And and if you like what you feel, all of that stuff is monster, monster funk. Shawnee Wilson's first album produced by Brian Loren is a funk album. The whole thing. And it's a monster funk album. Chucky Booker, all three of his albums, crazy funk albums, all of them. Of course, Mint Condition. Mm -hmm. They're known for their slow songs, but they're a funk band. Listen to their funky stuff. The other one who is a... Uh, Shaka Khan Prodigy is Vesta Williams. Her first album, also produced by Brian Loren around the same time, monster, monster funk album. The yeah. Mary Jane Girls, <laughs> out, of the Rip J- out of the Rick James camp. Those are funk <laughs> albums, right? Um, of course, Climax. And then uh, a drama according to Bernadette Cooper, the entire album. You talk about synth-based funk, tons of it on that album. You are going to get lost in that album. And of course, Zap, more, more, you know, um, more bounce to the ounce has never left the radio, has been sampled by a thousand <laughs> hip hop artists. And another group, again, funk under rock is Living Color, Cult of Personality. The whole yeah. album um, is funky as I don't know what. So, there, there are plenty more. I could go on for hours. We'll have to do a, a, a volume two yeah. someday. Yes, yes, yes. Or better yet, you can come back and come, you can come visit us to the store again and we can do like our favorite tiny desks. That would be a fun one too. You're going to have to kick me out of the store. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we're closing We're closing, now. <laughs> yeah. Well, y'all, whew, yeah. this has been quite an epic, epic task. I think been. we all had really great entries. I think it's time to get the funk up out of here for one night. <laughs> it's true. We'll get the funk out. And I didn't get the, in the Stevie Wonder and all the funk no. that he dropped in it. Oh, you just. <laughs> it's literally Stop. too much. We didn't. I know it's too much. 
It's funk overload. We didn't talk about so, wild yeah, you've cherry. Been so much fun. Yeah, no, there's like too I know. much. So much fun having you. I knew you would just be a trove. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's let's get the funk up out of here, like Natalie said. <laughs> Tio, it's well, good to have you. you in the store with us. Thank you so much. It was a good time. This was good. Awesome. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, we'll catch everyone in the store later. Check our store website for links to all of these wonderful bands, um, playlists, and whatnot. Awesome. All right, man. Take care. Happy trails. All right, closing down. Bye. Bye, everybody. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.